Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. My name is Matt Ketchell. I'm the Northeast Football App and Engagement Editor here at Chronicle Live. And this is a brand new podcast series we're kicking off. It's called Chronicled, the history of Newcastle United. And it's going to be a walkthrough of the entire history of this fantastic football club from 1881 to 2021. We're going to cover the highs, the lows, the milestones, the trophy wins. Yes, there were a few of those in the early days, at least. We're going to cover the world wars, the relegations, the visits to Wembley, the records, the managers, players, and of course, the fans that make this club truly great. So if you really know your Newcastle United history, this is the podcast series for you. And if you don't, this is definitely the podcast series for you. We're going to hopefully tell you some amazing details about this club that you never knew existed. Episode by episode, we're going to break down the story of Newcastle United chronologically. I'm going to be mainly asking the questions, and each week I'll be joined by the club's official historian, Paul Joanne who's going to help me shine a light on every moment in the club's 140-year history. There literally isn't a better person on the planet to walk us through the history of the tune than Paul. We'll also be joined at various stages along the way by special guests who have expert knowledge on certain areas of the club's history. And who knows, as we progress towards the modern-day Newcastle United, we might even be joined by some people who had the honour of pulling on a black and white shirt to represent Newcastle on the pitch for real. So settle in. This is episode one of Chronicled, the history of Newcastle United. So, Paul, our podcast journey through the history of the club begins here. First of all, thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm fascinated to learn a bit more about the club over the coming weeks and months with you. And before we begin with episode one, I was wondering if you just give us a little bit of a background on yourself, your experience, your published books, and your role as the club's official historian. As a historian, that's the historical equivalent of wearing the number nine for Newcastle United, I guess. Uh, it certainly is, and uh, very proud to to be um, the club's histor- historian. Well, I'm born and bred in Dentonburn, Newcastle, although now I live in Edinburgh and I've lived there for over 30 years. So I've been travelling up and down the year one for that uh, amount of time watching Newcastle United. I first saw the black and whites 1964 and that's almost 57 years ago now. And I've actually seen them win something, which is uh, very good, the Intercity Spares Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I started writing historical features uh, around about 1980, soon became club historian, and I've been doing it now for 40 years. I've been involved in all sorts of things over the over that time and uh, produced several books, of course, substantial volumes uh, of the club's history, the ultimate record, the ultimate who's who, uh, and I've enjoyed writing other books like Shirt of Legends, all about the number nine story, um, the Huey Gallagher story, specifically his biography with the family, Pioneers of the North, which tells the story of how football arrived in the northeast of England, um, and latterly the club's story in the Great War to mark the centenary of uh, World War One. And I'm working on a couple of supplements to the ultimate record and the ultimate who's who, which will be produced for the end of next season. Fantastic. Yes, we'll talk a bit more in detail about your books in this episode and throughout the series as well, as they've, they've formed a lot of the basis of research that we've been doing into the club. But first, we're going to start off our historic walkthrough of the club's history by dispelling a common myth. So technically, the story of our beloved Newcastle United begins in 1881, 
rather than 1892, as many fans assume. Are you able to start the series by clearing this one up for us? Um, well, that's right. Uh, the year of 1892 was certainly a special year, but yes, they weren't, weren't founded uh, then. Uh, they merely changed their name uh, and moved to St James's Park. Newcastle United were actually founded as a club called Stanley Football Club uh, 11 years earlier, uh, late in 1881. Interesting. So transport us then back 140 years to 1881. Football, very much a fledgling concept back then. It had only really been played in organised fashion for a few years on Tyneside, at least. Uh, yeah, football was a late sort of developer in the northeast of England. The game started uh, in the uh, further south and in the far south at the public schools of England. But uh, by 1877, uh, the, the region's pioneer clubs were formed. Uh, they were called, one was called Tyne Association, based in Newcastle, and the other one was uh, Newcastle Rangers. Now, by 1880, um, smaller clubs uh, were being formed around the region on the back of uh, the development of the game through Tyne and Rangers. And one of those clubs were uh, a small club called Stanley Football Club, um, and they originated from a cricket club in South Biker called Stanley Cricket Club. Okay, so very significant in the history of Newcastle United, as listeners are going to discover a bit later in this episode. Who exactly were Stanley FC? Can we um, work out where they were based in the region and why they were called Stanley? Yeah, we, we certainly know that. Uh, Stanley Football Club originates from the uh, local street they were from, which is Stanley Street, and that is part of Walker Road. Uh, at the junction with Raby Street in South Biker, just up from St. Peter's. Now, everybody who knows the east end of Newcastle will probably know that area quite well. Um, currently, the St. Peter's Social Club and Tyne Bank Brewery uh, are situated more or less in the spot of Stanley Street. You can't see Stanley Street anymore. It's just part of Walk Walker Road. But if you go back onto the local city maps uh, back in the 18. 70s and 80s, you can actually see a street called Stanley Street just at the junction with Raby Street. Yes, so no Stanley Street for us to go back and visit in 2021, but it was there 140 years ago, and it's probably on the site where the St. Peter's Social Club and Time Bank Brewery are now. How did Stanley get going then? Are you able to pinpoint exactly when in 1881 this small local club was officially formed? Straight away, I'm imagining a bunch of mustachioed working class men probably above a pub thrashing out details am i on the right lines with that one well i think you're on the right lines uh, certainly uh, the cricketers of stanley cricket club like many other sporting organizations at the time started uh, must have started talking about this new game uh, the association code as it was called back then to distinguish it from the rugby code um, and they would have been talking about it at, at cricket meetings and and in the pubs after cricket games and um the enthusiasts of the cricket uh, side decided to form a, a football club and it is recorded in the local press um in november 1881 there were two or three meetings uh of those cricketers and they decided to form a football club and that all happened in november 1881 and the first match took place very shortly afterwards yeah, amazing. So in November of this year that we're recording the podcast, 2021, that will mark the 140th anniversary of that meeting. 
Uh, you mentioned the first match. They didn't hang about, did they? They managed to get one organised pretty quickly after the meeting. Yeah, they had the meetings in mid-November and uh, the very first game of football uh, for Newcastle United, in effect, was on the 26th of November, 1881. Um, and that was against the wonderfully named Elsick Leatherworks Second Eleven. Um, <laughs> and Stanley won 5-0 to, to start it all off with a victory. Yeah, they leathered the Leatherworks, which I, I thought was a great start to the, the story. I actually um, have the lineup here for that game, um, which will probably go down as the first in, in Newcastle's history. And I thought it would be interesting to, to read it out for the listeners. So Newcastle went with a 2-2-6 formation. In goal was Thomas Shaw Falk. There were two backs, which were John T. Hobson and James Gardner. Two halfbacks, Amar, John Thompson. And then six forwards, they were uh, John Paul Cook, Robert Finley, William Armstrong Coulson, William Finley, George McKenzie, and Joseph, or as he was also known, John Dixon. The The formation is quite quite uh, attacking. Was that the style at the time, 2-2-6? Two, two, well, formations back in the 1870s, 1880s were, uh, you couldn't really say they were firm uh, formations. Yes, they had a goalkeeper, they had a couple of fullbacks as defenders, and the rest were all attackers, to be honest. It was a very much um, kick-and-rush type football, put the ball in, in the opposition half and everybody chase after it. So, you know, football as we know it now uh, uh, is a long way away from what it was in Victorian um, England. You know, it, it all started in that fashion, but developed decade by decade. Yes, I can imagine. It's a fantastic to imagine them setting up to play this game. Can you give us any more detail on some of these founding fathers of the club, Paul? Well, there's probably three individuals who who uh, who are worthy of, of a mention. Um, the captain of the cricket club and uh, the captain of the football club was William Armstrong Coulson, and, and he I certainly recognise as the founding father, if you like, he was born in Baker, lived just up uh, by Raby Street, and he, at the time he was 19, 20 years old, training to become a teacher. And he was very instrumental in, in setting Stanley on its course uh, to becoming Newcastle United. Two other um, individuals, Robert Finlay uh, and William Finlay, um, were two young Scottish brothers, both in the teens, and they uh, supported uh, Coulson in developing Stanley into a into a proper football club. All of them were born and raised in, well, raised in Biker because uh, the Findlays were actually born in Aberdeen and moved to Tyneside with the family. We'd love to, certainly I would love to find a, a decent picture of all three of them. Uh, I've managed to find an illustration of Coulson and his much later years as a veteran uh, school teacher. He later became a headmaster uh, near Annick and lived in the northeast all his life so maybe some family members are out there and would love to hear from um anybody related to coulson or the two findlay brothers absolutely yes if you do think you're related to william armstrong coulson or either william or robert finley we'd love you to get in touch and uh william and the finley brothers are a sincere thank you for your efforts 140 years ago paul moving on obviously the name stanley only really relates to the actual nearby street where the football club was based. We've established that Stanley Street isn't there anymore in Biker. They weren't known as Stanley for very long, though, were they? They weren't. Um, they, 
as they developed in 1881, 1882, uh, it's noted in the press that they were being confused with two other Stanley football clubs in County Durham. Uh, so uh, one reason for changing the name was because of that. Uh, the other one was that the club wanted to get a better identity in the east end of Newcastle in Biker, Walker and Heaton. Uh, so they decided in October 1882 to change the name and uh, they became Newcastle East End. Yeah, makes sense. The club known as Stanley and then Newcastle East End, they also had a bit of a nomadic existence, didn't they, in the early years in terms of where they actually played their home matches. Can you give us a bit of a tour of some of the locations that they used for these games? Yeah, well, it's got to be remembered back then we didn't have any uh, super stadiums as we've got to St James's Park now. Um, you know, all these smaller local clubs started off just playing on a, a rough patch of grass, if you like, uh, and in the area around uh, Biker on the slopes from the Tyne up to the likes of Shields Road, they were just starting to develop all the terraced uh, housing there, uh, which uh, was in Biker before the Biker Wall was developed, uh, was uh, constructed in the 70s. Um, now, in amongst those new terraced houses there were still green fields there was farming areas and stanley started playing on a patch of ground somewhere we don't know exactly but somewhere near raby street in the walker road junction there's a couple of schools right on the junction shown on them on the ordnance survey maps and it's likely that they started playing um right next to um those schools but they didn't stay there very long they moved just up the, the valley uh, or just up the slope uh, to Biker Vicarage about half a mile away and they played on another rough patch of grass uh, which was owned by one of the players mothers um, who was a farmer and uh, she allowed uh, the Stanley footballers to play on one of her fields. Uh, now as they gradually developed a couple of years later they moved to a, a more um, what you'd term a, a proper football ground on Dalton Street, uh, which was close to the giant mailing pottery factory um, just um, close by Raby Street. Now, anybody who wants to go down to Biker, they can walk up Dalton Street and see, still see the remnants of the giant mailing pottery factory. And the ground was very close to that. And it was what we would perhaps term today as a, as a basic non-league ground, a pitch roped off with maybe a little small stand. So Newcastle East End uh, played there for a, a short time and then uh, as they developed even further and had the ambition to become a proper football club, if you want to call it that, by September 1886, they um, found the ground on Chilling or just off Chillingham Road at the top of uh, Shields Road and Biker Bank, or Biker Hill, I sh should say, and they formed a new ground on the old site of a uh, racetrack there and cricket field, and they formed what was called the Heaton uh, Junction Ground, which was their home uh, until they moved to St James's Park. Now, again, um, listeners can go and visit uh, that area. Um, the ground isn't there anymore, but it's on. It was on the site of a very small industrial park, which is just very close to uh, the existing Chillingham Arms public house. Yeah, we might have to set up a biker walking tour after this series is finished, Paul. It's a nice little potted history you gave us there of some of the sites. It very much was their home for the for the first decade, at least. 
Yes, it would be. You could actually make a nice um, football walking tour of Newcastle starting in uh, South Biker at Stanley Street, up up uh, into Biker, into Heaton, and then across to uh, St James's Park and various other footballing locations, whether it's famous pubs that, that players changed in or fans went to um, right through the eras. So, uh, yes, that could be um, created quite easily. Sounds good. Listeners, if you're interested, let us know. We might, we might have to set that one up. So uh, organised football was starting to gain popularity around this time, although it's still a bit of a novelty in, in finding its feet in terms of the format and structure, etc. But it rapidly took hold and various teams began to sprout up around the country, really. But obviously, because of the era, the 19th century, games at this time were primarily local. Can you tell us, Paul, about some of the club's first ever local rivalries? Yeah, well, um, that's very true. Um, by the time Newcastle East End had developed and, and moved to Chillingham Road, um, the, the pioneering clubs of Tyne and Rangers had all but folded. They disappeared. Um, but several other clubs like Stanley and Newcastle East End were created. Um, the great rivals were Newcastle West End, um, and they were formed in 1882, just after Newcastle East End. And they were based, eventually they settled at St James's Park and they had a following from the west of the city. Newcastle East End obviously had a following from the east of the city and that was the great rivalry on, on Tyneside, although there were several other uh, decent sides. Um, Rendell from the Benwell area were a good local side. Elswick Rangers, again, they were a very good side. Uh, Shankhouse Black Watch, great name uh, from uh, just outside Cramlington now. Uh, they were one of the, the earliest, um, uh, very top local sides. But by sort of 1890, it was Newcastle East End versus Newcastle West End, with, of course, um, certain clubs from Sunderland coming on the scene. Sunderland and a new club in on side called Sunderland Albion uh, were formed. Uh, they came on later after Tyne and Rangers, and they became uh, rivals as well. Okay, that's interesting. So, in, obviously, in the 21st century, St James's Park has averaged home crowds of 52,000. How many spectators would turn out to watch Newcastle East End, for example, in the 19th century? Well, nothing like 50,000, that's for certain. Um, hmm. When football started under the banner of Stanley, it was only a handful of, of people, friends and family, no doubt, that watched uh, the very early uh, side. By the time they got to Chillingham Road and the Heaton Junction ground, you could see crowds of two to 3,000 and for bigger games up to 10,000. Uh, so when they played Newcastle West End or when they uh, faced Sunderland or invited many of the uh, top sides from the uh, rest of the country to come up to play exhibition games like the Blackburn Rovers or, or Renton from Scotland, you could reach that 10,000 figure. Mm. And this would have been prior to the formation of the Football League, but even though there wasn't really a league format, East End versus West End still developed into a fierce rivalry. Yeah, to start off with, it was all very much friendly games, if you could call them friendlies, because some of them were pretty rough and uh, mm. uh, fractious. They also played in uh, the Northumberland Challenge Cup, now we call it the Senior Cup, and that was the case until the Northern League was created in 1889 and at that time we had proper competitive football uh, albeit Northumberland and Durham and into Teesside um, and at that stage 
you know, football had really started to develop properly with cup competitions. The FA Cup as well started to creep in, um, although you know, no local sides did very much in the FA Cup at that time. And then the Football League was uh, created in 18, uh, 1888, a year earlier than the Northern League, but Newcastle uh, clubs didn't join till much later. Mm. So for the era... And given the relatively low popularity of the association code, as it was then known in the late 19th century, two Newcastle clubs was probably a bit too much for the city of Newcastle upon Tyne's population around about this era. And something had to give. Yeah, something did have to give. Um, both clubs, Newcastle East End, Newcastle West End, were very ambitious. Um, they both turned professional um, and they both became limited companies. And that and both clubs were very uh, one of the the first group of companies uh, group of football clubs to become a limited company in the country and they became businesses and they attracted uh, players especially from Scotland who in Scotland it was very much an amateur game and they flocked over the border to turn professional and be paid for playing football and Newcastle East End and Newcastle West End both uh, secured many Scottish players at this time now, on gates of two to 3,000, 4,000, and the odd game, uh, the odd gate of five, six, or even 10,000, you couldn't sustain that professionalism very long. And it was clear that in, a, in the city at that time, only one football club could survive. Um, and really, one of them, Newcastle East End or Newcastle West End, uh, had to go. Yes, and we'll find out exactly which of those clubs went in our next episode. Paul, we'll leave it for now. We've covered Stanley, the the, uh, the era 1881 to 1892. Uh, before we go, I just want to advise our listeners to some further reading that they can do if they're interested in this era of football. There's a couple of books that you've been involved with. Uh, Pioneers of the North, which I have here. This is what I, I read the, the first ever team sheet for uh, a Stanley game from. Uh, you were involved in that book. That book covers the very early formation of, of football on Tyside. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, yes, we, we did that. Uh, I did that together with a, a colleague, another Newcastle um, enthusiast, Alan Candlish, a few years back. And we decided that we wanted to trace the detailed story of how football arrived, uh, not only on Tyneside and not only Newcastle United, but in the northeast of England. Uh, the focus is very much on Newcastle United and Newcastle East End, Newcastle West End, but it does cover uh, how football developed from Berwick down to Teesside. Um, so I would recommend anybody to get a copy of that if they want to know much more on how the, the great, beautiful game arrived on Tyneside and the North East. Yes, absolutely. I've been reading that myself in, in preparation for this series, and it really does paint an amazing picture, really, of, of how the game of football actually came to, to start, the very the very birth of it in in uh, the northeast so it's a fantastic reading you did mention at the start um the the ultimate record and the ultimate who's who they are must reads if you're interested in the history of newcastle united we'll talk a bit more in detail about that maybe on the next episode um because you're working on updates on those two for the 140th anniversary which we've learned is this year we've covered the pioneer days pretty much now in this episode stanley have formed they've established themselves as a serious northeast football outfit and biker they've renamed themselves and moved around a bit already in the, in the name of progress. So, as we'll see in next week's episode, they're a very ambitious club. Um, check back next week when we move on to the 1892-93 season. 
where Newcastle East End take over at St James's Park following the demise of East End. Does that count as the club's first ever takeover? I think it might do. In the meantime, thank you, Paul. Uh, listeners, please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you use. Follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And keep an eye out for new episodes of Chronicle, the history of Newcastle United. This new series is going to come out every week. And if you've got a question for Paul Joanneau about the history of Newcastle United, you can email those to our email address, which is the EIBW podcast at reachplc.com. That's the EIBW podcast at reachplc.com. I'll read the best out on future shows and Paul will no doubt be able to answer them. Thanks so much for listening to Chronicled, the history of Newcastle United. <laughs> <laughs>